The isolation of the pandemic was difficult for many people, but for children, the impact was even greater. School closures, online learning, social distancing measures, limited access to outdoor activities, and other restrictions are some of the reasons children are experiencing increased anxiety and depression. In this edition of Health Styles, we're talking with Sarah Bush Lincoln pediatrician Sanjay Garg about the things he's seeing in his daily interactions with patients and parents. Dr. Garg will give his insights into early warning signs of anxiety and depression in children and will provide great advice to parents and caregivers. That's just ahead, so don't go away. We imagine what can be done and then reimagine it for the better. We model our care after the best and then remodel to break new ground. We invest in our community, then reinvest for the future. In a world of constant change, you can't be afraid to rethink, rewrite, restart. Sarah Bush Lincoln is constantly evolving to provide you with the area's best health care. Sarah Bush Lincoln, trusted, compassionate care. Welcome to Health Styles, the podcast. I'm your host, Lori Banks, and today I am with pediatrician Sanjay Garg. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Good to have you. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself first and where you see patients for Sarah Bush Lincoln. Uh, so I've been a pediatrician for roughly 25 years, and I have practiced in different locations. Prior to coming here, I was in Decatur, and um, in, in Charleston, I am with Charleston Family Practice Clinic, okay. seeing pediatric patients. And your lovely wife, Seema, is also a pediatrician. Absolutely. She, <laughs> she is here to keep me on my toes, yes. <laughs> As most, most wives do, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, Dr. Garg, today we're talking about recognizing and helping children with mental health challenges. So in your 25 plus years of caring for children, when did you start to see more mental health issues in kids? So interestingly enough, um, these issues came to the forefront uh, in the last two, three, four years when COVID hit. Before this, I'm sure these issues were there and they were flying under the radar, uh, but they were not as prominent. The isol isolation of COVID really brought them out to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Was Is there a certain age that that impacted more? It actually impacted across the wide spectrum, but Teenagers and young adults and even older adults ran into issues. Mm -hmm. Just that isolation, not being able to interact with their friends. Yes, the, the, your normal lifestyle is completely turned on its head. You're not able to personally interact with people. You're not able to go to parks, movies, theaters, uh, not in general public. And I think humans are social animals. They need personal contact, not just screen time, personal contact. So what, as a pediatrician, when these kids would come in, what would be some red flags or indicators for you that something wasn't right? 
So uh, these uh, young people, uh, they present with multiple symptoms, but the most common symptom I would say is social withdrawal. And they, you see them not being as communicative with you or to their other people. Mm -hmm. uh, if they were doing good in school, their grades tend to fall. Uh, this show no interest in their normal activities that they used to love. Let's say play music or watch movies or talk to friends. They seem to withdraw from that. Their grades may start to fall. Um, and sometimes you start seeing them um, obviously being anxious or depressed. And um, sometimes they will come out and say stuff like, I feel the world would be better off without me or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. So these are obvious signs. Teenagers are not as easy to communicate with as any parent <laughs> of a, a teenager would tell you, but these are the signs. So are there other signs Pandemic aside, just mental health, you know, when a kid gets a fever, that's always an indicator that there's an infection. So what are some other indicators that a child may be struggling with some mental health issues, maybe depression, anxiety? So uh, the, the symptoms that I mentioned before are the common indicators. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the child can obviously have signs and symptoms of um, just being anxious and not willing to communicate with you. Mm -hmm. And if you put two and two together, your mom or dad antenna will go up and say, hey, this is not the kid I'm used to. Uh, th this kid may not have communicated as well as we want them to mm -hmm. with us, but now things are definitely different. Other signs of anxiety and depression may include sleep issues, too much or not enough. Same thing goes with appetite changes, eating too little or not enough. As a parent or caregiver, how do you know if these things are just a phase? Maybe they're related to hormones or is it something more serious? So the, the, the most important thing is to keep your eyes and ears open. If the routine of the child changes, if the child appears to be different from what you know of this child, uh, and this thing tends to persist. Uh, when we say phase, teenagers start from 13 till 1920. So you know your child will rebel in this time. <laughs> of course. They will not communicate as well, but these are symptoms that are more severe than what you are used to. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the best way I can put it. So are there things that you do now as a pediatrician preventative-wise that you didn't have to do early in your practice that are, you know, indicate, you know, things to, I don't know, test or check for mental health issues in kids? So, um, 
American Academy of Pediatrics uh, has come out with certain questionnaires that they are recommending that we do on every kid 12 years and above mm -hmm. to check for exactly these type of issues. Uh, the, the issues have become significant enough that they are even considering them administering eight years and above. Mm -hmm. So um, when, the, when, the, when I see a young person in my clinic, I administered these tests and I obviously talked to the young person and the parent about how the things are going at home and at school and then based on the demeanor and all the uh, test results you can form a picture of okay things are may not be going in the right direction mm -hmm. and then you start to take uh, measures the most important thing is to first reach a probable diagnosis that yes, this kid is under the weather. Mm -hmm. And once that is done, then the health professionals, meaning a psychologist, a counselor, a psychiatrist, medication, whatever needs to be done, have to be pulled in. Okay, that was my next question. What's the next step after you and you kind of determine that, hey, this isn't, this isn't just a phase, this is something more serious? So it is not just me, it is all over US. American Academy of Pediatrics has uh, declared a psychiatric emergency in the last couple of years. Uh, the, the reason is A, more kids are exhibiting signs of anxiety depression and number two, there are not enough psychiatric providers to take care of them. Mm -hmm. So as a pediatrician, um, I do see the need every single day where I have to take care of these kids who I did not take care of in the past. Uh, and the psychiatrists uh, are so busy that now pediatricians have to start prescribing medications uh, which we did not used to do in the past mm -hmm. as a routine. Right. So do you obviously you don't prescribe medication for every child that comes through. Do some just need counseling or, or is medication the answer for everybody? So each, if I may use the term, apple is different. <laughs> right. Uh, depends on how the kid is doing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the first step is counseling. Uh, the other thing that is also important is the parental involvement. They need to be open to the idea that their kid can be anxious or depressed. Parents sometimes find it difficult to accept that, hey, the kid is an A-grade student. He seems to be okay from outside but you never know what's happening in the kid's head mm -hmm. and they can sometimes be very good at hiding things. Uh, the, some of these kids will self-medicate 
by using substances like marijuana and alcohol mm -hmm. and that becomes an issue also so the parents have to come to terms with the fact that these issues may be there and once they are fully involved then they can be more supportive to the kid and say okay uh, young person what can I do to help you and that open line of communication has a lot of positives so if a parent if, if you're with a parent and a child and you say I think you know we've got some anxiety and depression going on here what advice do you have for the parent on helping them help their child so the most important thing is the parent has to accept the fact that there might be an issue number two they have to also come to the understanding that sometimes this is not a phase and if the child is not helped uh, the results may not be desirable um, the other thing the parent has to also accept the fact that they themselves may be experiencing some of these issues and uh, denial is not the answer so if they need to seek help they need to talk and connect to groups of parents who are undergoing the same thing because of the kids which are the most important thing in your life then that really helps uh, the parents obviously once they start noticing things they need to talk to the pediatrician or the school counselor and build up on that. Mm -hmm. So you, you said, you know, a lot of this has come to the forefront because of the pandemic from the isolation and the lack of socialization. What about the role of social media? Social media is uh, the big elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, Teenagers are consuming it like there is no tomorrow. These platforms initially were designed to improve the communication, but the unintended consequences that nobody knew or knew and ignored was the problem of unfiltered conversation and cyberbullying. Mm -hmm. So when you have to type a negative comment about somebody, you just do it. But you may not say that same thing when you are in front of that person because now you have to deal with the emotions and mm -hmm. the response that you will get from the other person. Right. So social media, I think, is unfortunately playing a, more of a negative role, in my opinion, than a positive role. Uh, it is not to negate the positives of uh, support that you can get from family members that may not be living with you, mm -hmm. and you can connect with them, and you can connect with your friends. But what is also true is a cyber bully can say something, and it may go viral in five seconds. And previously when one person used to communicate to the next and it would take 
a week or 10 days, mm-hmm. now in five seconds, your whole class or a whole school may know it. Right. I mean, you and I are kind of of the same era. We grew up in the 70s, 80s. Yes. Um, you know, it would be something was said at eight o'clock in the morning and maybe it took till lunch for it to get out or you passed a note or you shoved someone up against the locker. That was bullying in our day and it took a while for it to get around and now it's instant. It it is instant and unfortunately um, what we need to realize is the person who's getting bullied may in fact turn around and start perpetrating the same behavior down the road. Mm -hmm. So there are many reasons why these things happen, but cyberbullying is there to stay. Uh, Unfortunately, cyberbullying also includes sexting, Mm -hmm. which has become a major issue. And people have had suicides and attempted suicides and psychiatric breakdowns because of that. So the important thing to remember is if you're going to put something out there on the net, remember you may delete it from the phone, but it is out there in the ether for somebody to discover. So be very careful. Yeah. So what advice do you have for parents when they, when you do have a social media conversation with them and the child, when they come in, if that comes up? So, uh, A study that just came out today, I was reading it in the morning, uh, says children um, who are exposed to social media three to four hours a day in the first year of life have some developmental delays with regards to social skills and communications. Down the road, this tends to go away, but what it says is the formative years are there for the kid to learn, to explore, to develop the brain, to develop skills of problem solving. If during that time, the kid is sitting in front of a screen, he or she does not develop any of those skills. So AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics says, in the first two years, try not to expose the kid to any social media. Two to five years, they say one to two hours. Above five years, they say the kid can have a tad bit more exposure, but quality programming. Mm -hmm. What parents need to realize is as teenagers uh, or young adults observe what is on the internet, those things they imbibe and they can become their alternate reality. So gun violence or violence or drug use or pregnancy are portrayed as normal on the internet Mm -hmm. when in real life they are not as normal. So these are the downsides of the social media and the commonest thing I see when I enter the room to check a patient is that this young person and even the parent are both on their phones. Yeah. <laughs> and they may not even talk to each other. They're texting each other. You're sitting three feet away. Why are you doing that? Yeah. 
and when I enter the room, the parent may put down the phone, but sometimes the teenager doesn't. Mm -hmm. So this is the sign of times and the reality is that unless we do something about it, we are losing a whole generation um, to social media and these young ones are not capable of personal interactions. Mm -hmm. They're losing those skills, uh, which is not good. Because those skills are developed at such a young age and if they're not develop developing them when they're little, how are they going to develop later in life? They actually don't. Uh, they don't. You, you listen to some of these company CEOs saying that these young applicants don't know how to dress. They don't know how to conduct an interview. And they're having difficulties recruiting people just because some of these issues are up front. Or just like making, you and I, are, we're sitting in Dr. Sanjay's office, Dr. Garg's office, and we're looking at each other across. If, if you grew up with a phone in front of your screen, it would be, I would think, very uncomfortable for that young person to look you in the eye and just converse like we're conversing now. They are just not used to it, and yeah. they're not used to seeing that emotion mm -hmm. in the other person's face. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it is. We, we grew up, I think, in a much easier time and generation, don't you think? <laughs> the, the pressures were there, but they were different. Yes. I don't know that I'd want to be a kid now. No, no. <laughs> right <laughs> now, it is a little bit tough. <laughs> well, we don't want to end the podcast on such a negative note. So let's just let's just wrap it up here with, you know, what advice do you offer to parents about mental health and mental well-being for their children? If they're they're concerned, they're listening to this and thinking, oh, that that's my kid. What should I do? So the most important thing I would say is uh, take it as if this is another issue as you go in your life. This is an issue that needs to be tackled. There's nothing good or bad about it. It's an issue that has to be addressed. As long as you're open to addressing it in, uh, in a fashion where the kid is involved and you are open to conversation with the kid. You are willing to do what most of the times this young person wants and not taking just a top-down approach, but coming to the level of the per young person mm -hmm. and addressing it from there, I think we can achieve some positive results in this environment. Uh, ultimately, this is your kid. Just be friends with the kid. When I was growing up uh, in India, there, were, there used to be a saying that when your kid's shoe fits your foot, that kid is your friend, <laughs> not necessarily uh, the kid you can push around, mm -hmm. so as to say, or order around. <laughs> uh -huh. So these are the things that you have to keep in mind, that at certain point, you have to start treating your teenager differently, in a more friendly manner, and do not 
brush off their concerns as if, hey, you're being dramatic. No, they may be crying for help. Just they, they have too big of an ego to go out and ask it directly. They give you signs that you have to be able to catch. <laughs> Got to be, you got to be not looking at your phone to catch those signs. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <That's right. laughs> Absolutely. Please talk to your kid. And who knows their kid better than the parent, right? No, no question about it. I always tell them, I see you for 15 minutes. You see the kid 24 seven. So if I ignore what you say, I'm not doing my good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important thing, again, I would mention is just open the line of communication with your kid, talk to them, listen to them. And I think uh, you will be on the right path. All right, Dr. Garg, thank you so much for sharing your advice. It was great to see you again. We haven't seen you in probably a month. So great to have you here and welcome to the area. You and your wife are relatively new to our health system. So we're so happy to have you. Thank you very much for having us. And it is a pleasure working here. Thank you. If you're concerned your child may be exhibiting signs of anxiety or depression, start by talking to their primary care provider. You can find helpful information online at trusted sites like the National Institute of Mental Health and HealthyChildren.org, which is part of the American Academy of Pediatrics. That's our podcast for this week. I thank you for listening. To learn more about the providers and services of Sarah Bush Lincoln, including Dr. Garg, head over to our website at sarahbush.org. That's Sarah with an H. Until next time, this is Lori Banks, your host for Health Styles. Have a great day.